Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Travis Seabrook of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, the latest player to re-sign with the club about his upcoming season. Also, Kyle Milroy stops by for a chat about the Raptors because they just traded Pascal Siakam and no one's left now from their 2019 title winning team. Wow, how time flies. That's all coming up on the podcast. To baseball now. And the Winnipeg Gold Eyes earlier this week announcing that left-handed pitcher Travis Seabrook would be coming back for the 2024 season was primarily used as a starter last year, six and six with a six three Oh ERA is the sixth player to re up for the 2024 season. And he joins us now, Travis, uh, why did you want to come back for another year with the fish? Uh, I like playing on Canadian soil. I think the, the gold eyes just have a really good uh, organization. We've had a, a good group of guys, a new staff coming in again this year. And I'm just really looking forward to, to getting back into Winnipeg and getting the season under under underway. So for those who don't know, you're from Peterborough, Ontario. And so for you to be able to play pro ball in your home country, how big a deal is that for you? It's a huge deal. I didn't get, I spent so much time uh, in high school growing up uh, traveling for tournaments and showcases and stuff in the, in the U S trying to get noticed and get exposure for scholarships or to get in front of pro scouts and stuff. Um, I've spent most of my career just playing in the U.S. So to be able to, to be home and play um, on Canadian soil, the, it's amazing. So take us through your baseball journey. You were selected out of high school by the Orioles 11 years ago. How did you navigate that path to where you end up here in, in Winnipeg? Um, yeah, so I got drafted out of high school by Baltimore uh, and then uh, played with them for seven seasons. Uh, mostly just through a ball through short season, low A and high A. And I got released in 2019. Um, and at that point in time, I just needed to try and find a place, uh, to try and continue my career. And Winnipeg, uh, you know, was a team that's in the American association. They were a Canadian team, which was something I think that, um, scored a lot of points for me on, on places that I wanted to go and try and play. Um, so it just felt like Winnipeg could be a really good fit. So I'd reached out to the manager uh, at the time, Rick Forney, um, you know, to see if they had any available spots on the team or if they would need, you know, they needed a left-handed pitcher. And uh, they did. Uh, but then COVID happened. Uh, 2020 came around and COVID happened. There was a shortened season and it was uh, difficult for me to try and get across the border to go and play that 2020 season. But uh, luckily there was still a spot available for me in the 2021 season. Um, and I've been playing with the gold eyes ever since. So three seasons now you were used pretty much, well, exclusively as a, a reliever. The first two years you became a starter last year. What necessitated that transition for you? Um, most of it, uh, it was something, it was a transition that I wanted to do. I started for most of my career when I was in Baltimore. Um, and I just always liked the, um, the, you know, being in a rotation, knowing when I was going to throw, um, being able to have a, a set routine each week. Um, that was something that I, I enjoyed a lot, basically, in my career with Baltimore. Um, and, you know, there's perks of being in the bullpen as well. But going into the season last year, um, you know, moving out of the bullpen and, and into a starting rotation was something that I really wanted to do. I felt like uh, it was something that I be, would, you know, be good at in, in that league that I had become really familiar with. Um, you know, I was going to be able to log more innings, uh, and just feel like I was contributing a little bit more uh, to the team and adding a little bit of depth to our rotation. So it felt like it was a good thing to do. I wanted to do it. And our manager last year, um, Greg Taggart, was on board with it. And so that's, uh, that's how that came to fruition. 
85 innings and 85 and two thirds innings pitched last year compared to 53 the year before that. Uh, how do you think it went your first year as a starter in the league? Uh, it started off really good. My first five or six starts uh, outside of my, my first one uh, went pretty well. Uh, the transition I was very comfortable with and, and felt like I kind of got on a little bit of a roll, you know, my first six, five or six starts. Um, and then uh, hit a little bit of a roadblock kind of in the, you know, leading into the all-star break and right after the all-star break. Um, part of it, I think, might have just been uh, getting acclimated. Like once I'd already, you know, started approaching that 40, 45, 50 inning limit, that was around the time, uh, that's the most amount of innings that I'd thrown in any one season for probably five years. Um, so trying to just kind of push through that uh, inning barrier um, and, and, you know, try and give myself a little bit more headway uh, took its toll a, a little bit. I felt like the last, you know, two-thirds of the season or last third of the season or so. Um, but I still felt like I was able to go out and compete and do well and, and, you know, most nights put our team in a position to win. So, How does your offseason change as a starter compared to being a reliever? How do you get your body ready? Is there a difference? Um, training wise, it's a little bit different. I think I just mostly just increase the volume of throwing, um, and put a little bit more emphasis on that fifth day. Um, you know, coming in as a reliever, I'm trying to get up on a mound every other day or every, you know, every third day, um, and throwing a little bit less off the mound, less pitches in my bullpens, less pitches in my live outings, um, leading into the season where as a starter, um, you know, I'm only getting off the mound probably twice a week, you know, once for a midweek bullpen and then once uh, more or less for a, like a simulated start where I have extended bullpens and throwing more pitches. Um, and then my weekly throwing, uh, because I'm not on the mound quite as frequently, uh, my throwing sessions end up being a little bit longer. I just make more throws. I play a little bit more long toss trying to build up my stamina and, uh, you know, so that I can throw deeper into games and, and log more innings in each start. What's it like being a pro baseball player in Winnipeg, specifically this city? It's a lot of fun. It's good. The Winnipeg fans uh, treat the baseball team very, very well. and They're very supportive, and uh, they're always fun to go out there and play um, and play for. They're exciting. The atmosphere is always good. Um, so just being able to play you know, any, any kind of professional sport in a city that um, has fans as good as what Winnipeg does, um, it's definitely a blessing, and it's one I definitely don't take for granted. So it's been awesome. Have you talked to Logan Watkins? What have the conversations been like with your new manager? Uh, they've been really positive. I've talked to him uh, a couple times briefly. Um, and, you know, I've had a couple of uh, former teammates and, and close friends that I've both played for, for Logan as a, as a player. Um, and then uh, another one of my friends uh, that, you know, used to play actually for the Gold Eyes for a long time. Um, actually played with Logan in the Chicago Cubs organization when they were in the minor league. So I've heard nothing but good things um, about Logan. I've had a couple really good conversations with him, and from everything I've heard and, and whatnot, uh, it just seems like he wants to put together the, the best possible team uh, so that we can go out there and, you know, really make a race for a championship. So I'm very much looking forward to it, and um, I'm excited to play for him. The ballpark you play in, uh, formerly called Shaw Park, now Manitoba Blue Cross Park, is it a pitcher's park, hitter's park? How do you describe it? Uh, it depends on which way the wind's blowing. <laughs> Sometimes if the, the wind's blowing in uh, from left field, it can feel like the ball's never going to get out. 
Um, it sometimes can play a little bit deep uh, to right field, uh, which which is good. Um, but I would just say it's more it's more you know kind of just falls in the middle of the pack. It doesn't feel um, you know like there's a lot of fly balls that kind of just squeak over the wall. Usually when people hit a home run at that field, uh, it's pretty much a home run in any park. Um, so it's uh, you know very comfortable to pitch there like that, um, and it's just you know I've enjoyed playing there. Looking at how you got to where you are now, was it always baseball for you, or did you play a bunch of sports and then it just eventually became baseball? Uh, I played hockey mostly growing up. My parents uh, were always, um, you know, they, they pushed me to try and play as many sports as I could, and I, I loved that. I played soccer a little bit as a kid. Uh, I golfed. I played volleyball and basketball and stuff in high school. Played AAA hockey. Uh, growing, you know, growing up all the way really until my draft year, my minor midget year in ninth or tenth grade. Um, but baseball was mostly just like a summer pastime. It was the sport that I liked to play in the summertime. And as I got older and started approaching high school, I got a really big growth spurt. Um, so by the time I was in tenth grade, I was already six foot five. I was left-handed and was pitching, and um, things were going really well that way. So I felt like. Uh, I had a lot more avenues for scholarships or, you know, some way to kind of get into post-secondary education, um, you know, so I could go to school and, and uh, try and get a little bit of scholarship help that way. And baseball just was the best avenue for me at that time. And then as it turned out, it just, I ended up getting drafted. Um, so that was how my career had started. And, um, but yeah, it was never, baseball was not my number one sport really up until probably halfway through high school. I was always a hockey player. Okay. You went through the Orioles system. You grew up not that far from Toronto. Did you become an Orioles fan after being a Blue Jays fan? Where does your MLB fandom lie right now? Uh, I've always been. I mean, I've always been a Blue Jays fan. They got a special place in my heart because I grew up, grew up watching them for my whole entire life. Um, but obviously, you know, I get drafted by Baltimore. You know, I learn a lot more. I'm a lot closer and have personal connections with a lot of the players and whatnot. Um, so even today, I still uh, still root for Baltimore. Um, you know, I think they, especially the last couple of years, I think they have a lot of, you know, young, really talented players that are exciting to watch and they're going to do a lot of great things. So definitely a fan of Baltimore, but you know, I've always just always still been a fan of Toronto. Do you have goals of trying to get into the MLB at this point? Where, where are your career ambitions now at 28 years old? For sure. I mean, it's everybody's dream. Everybody wants, uh, is always chasing opportunity and, uh, you know, in whatever way that gets presented. So if that opportunity ever comes, I got to pitch really, really well, you know, try and throw a little harder and strike a few more guys out. But if that opportunity ever comes, uh, it's definitely something that I'm still chasing and, and hope to pursue. Yeah. Do you feel like being a lefty affords you different opportunities than you would if you were right-handed? For sure. I think uh, it's definitely a valuable asset being left-handed. Um, but, you know, there, there's so many good things nowadays, like even for people that are, or, you know, pitchers that are playing left-handed. Um, I don't think that it's as big of an advantage as what it might have been 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Um, more or less now, it's, you know, guys just chase velocity. They want, you know, pitchers that have all kinds of good metrics and outlier off-speed pitches and um, that kind of stuff. And I feel like there's a little bit left less emphasis on whether you're right or left-handed um you know a little bit different than how it used to be but um still think a little bit of an advantage for sure what's your best pitch i like throwing fastballs i've always liked throwing fastballs i think that um that's the most important pitch for most people 
uh, you got to be able to command a fastball. You got to be able to throw it to all parts of the plate and, you know, move it up and down and in and out. And uh, that's something throughout most of my career that I've spent the majority of my time focusing on. So it's my favorite pitch to throw. And what's your average velocity? Uh, I'd sit around, somewhere around 90. Uh, at times I uh, have in my career ranted up to 94, 95, but most of the time it probably sits around that 90 mile an hour range. Okay. And do you have a walk-up song when you start a game? Uh, I did. Uh, I know Winnipeg doesn't always play our uh, our walk-up songs. I get it a couple times. or used to when I came out of the, the bullpen. Um, but uh, Sandstorm uh, by Darude was my, uh, my walk-up song. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. Well, yeah. uh, before I let you go, where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Florida, actually. I'm uh, going to school at Florida State University. So I'm a full-time student in the off-season uh, so I'm trying to juggle all my training and lifting and throwing and also taking full load of classes. So it's uh, challenging, but it's fun. It's It's been good. I like having a little bit of warmer weather uh, all uh-huh. year round. Well, yeah, right. you just heard you heard the forecast before we started here. Minus It's minus 18 right now in Winnipeg. But... Yeah, that's crazy. It was actually minus 3 degrees here today. So oh, wow. I definitely feel the cold a little bit, but not minus 18 is really, so really cold. What, <laughs> do you, what are you studying for down there? Uh, my major's in civil engineering. And this so is, so you're looking ahead to a lot of math and, after your career's done? Yep, yep, something I'm just trying to work uh, work towards uh, while I'm playing. I'm able to kind of kill two birds with one stone, so play in the summertime and go to school in the off-season. So it's a good little setup, and I've been enjoying it. And busy time. All right, well, Travis, I'll let you go. Uh, get back to whatever studying you may be doing there. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll see you in Winnipeg in a few months. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Travis Seabrook, pitcher for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, back for another year with the fish. On the topic of the Raptors, yes, big news today that they've dealt Pascal Siakam, the last remaining player from their 2019 title-winning team. He's now a pacer. Bruce Brown, Jordan Nwora, and three first-round picks are coming back. Also, Kira Lewis Jr., a lightly used point guard, Goes from the Pelicans to Toronto in that trade as well. Siakam is the big prize in this deal. A 29-year-old averaging just over 22 points per game, about six and a half rebounds and almost five assists per game. He's in the final year of a deal that pays him $38 million this season. But for Toronto, the end of an era, the rebuild is on. And to talk about it, I sat down earlier today with resident basketball fan and uh, Big-time Raptors guy, Kyle Milroy, which means I have to play the requisite basketball stinger that I play whenever I interview Kyle Milroy. (laughs) I know this was in the rumor mill for a a day or two now, but still still to see it happen, I mean, this is it. Like The Raptors have totally pressed the reset button. Yeah, I mean, how many reset buttons have they hit over the last few seasons? I mean, you say a day or two that Siakam has been mentioned. This is just this specific trade. Sure. He'd been in the rumor mill for years, I think, at this point. It's hard to just sort of... Well, because the Raptors have been in that middle ground of, are you trying or are you not? So what are you going to do with your good players? Because the Raptors, they're they're hovering around the, the play-in they're not really going anywhere. So I guess you can understand this move. Yeah, you're sort of in the the Raptors, much like um, growing up, I was a Blue Jays fan, and they were sort of in the same realm of like, do we compete? Do we not? And it's really honestly the worst position to be in if you're a sports fan. I understand that if you're like an owner of a team or a general manager of a team, you want to try every year. You're not not trying. But it's impossible to kind of 
be mediocre. It's bad. It ends up being bad. But yeah, the Raptors, for once in their life, five years ago, five, six years ago, they went all in at the right time because the only time they would have been able to get Kawhi Leonard was because he was a depreciated asset at the time because of the weirdness with San Antonio and he barely played and everyone was like, well, is he going to like retire? I haven't seen him play in forever. And they hap- that happened to coincide with the, amount, the direct time for we can't get any further with DeMar DeRozan. And so they traded those guys and the rest is history. And now the rest is history again, because there's nobody left from that team. As you mentioned to me just a few minutes ago, and it was like, oh yeah, there's literally nobody from the team. I don't follow any teams as voraciously as I do the Raptors, but I don't think there's most teams probably have uh, little to no rosters player from rostered players from that amount of time ago, just because of the nature of the NBA and the nature of four years, maximum contracts type thing. But it's still sort of shocking to say it out loud. We see in the NBA, titles are generally won by a select group of teams. It's a very short list. Denver just won their first title ever this past year. But before that, there was a lot of Golden State. The Lakers were in there. Uh, Basically, any team LeBron was on, so the Cavs and the Heat. And, you know, there is turnover for sure. Stars don't always stay in one spot. We know that in the NBA. But even lower level roster guys everybody literally nobody is left now from a title that they won less than five calendar years ago it's quite the turnaround and i guess that just goes to show the fleeting nature of sports yeah if you get a jersey just prepare for that player to play for someone else soon i mean yeah i mean that's why people for the longest time for 20 years have just been kind of lebron james fans because he's been bouncing around like literally the greatest player of several generations has played for three teams in his career twice for some twice for the cavaliers so you just kind of follow along and be a fan of that player and I'll look at Durant, right? He's bounced around a bunch. Harden's bounced around a bunch. Very yeah. few. Kawhi is great. He, is it, he's with the Clippers. Now it's his third team. There are very few guys that the Warriors are pretty much the, the players that stay in one place. Yeah. And that's almost an anomaly. And that's, oh yeah, that's coming to an end in terms of like, those guys are just going to either retire there or maybe try to get a little bit of extra money from some other team. Yeah, Curry's but, still good, but Clay and Draymond are No, they're pretty, they're pretty washed. I mean, no one's going to pay... I don't think Clay should even play for a team if he's just going to get like a league minimum or not a lot of money. If someone wants to give him a crazy deal for two years for some sort of weird attraction, sure. But it's nice in some way when players retire under one team. You hate to see... There's, you know, countless things. There's the funny gag, the NBA gag of showing like Hakeem Olajuwon wearing a Raptors jersey versus Patrick Ewing in like a... I can't even remember what jersey he plays for. I think the Sonics even maybe. It's just is horrifying to see. Jordan so, in a Wizards jersey. Yeah, so you like to see um, players play for one team and one team only, but um, yeah, going back to the Raptors roster, that five years, I mean, I'll, I'll never trade that moment and that feeling for anything, but it's just sort of sad how it all kind of ended i guess it you know it started just because Kawhi decided to you know which was his right he was a free agent but just decided to go somewhere else and because he didn't feel like doing a sign trade i don't know how that works or if you can just be like opt into that or not or if that's just not an option for those situations but yeah he just left and because of that they couldn't you can't really make moves in preparation for somebody leaving if they haven't left yet because then that goes maybe that pushes them off the edge to move and you kind of see how to kind of have to stay put unfortunately so they're a bit behind on that and it's funny out of all the trades and all the sort of non-trades they kind of got caught flat-footed a few times i'd say i don't blame them for the Kawhi one because they have to again kind of wait and see what he said and they won 
And they won, exactly. You just kind of go, whatever. You'd love to have more than one, you but take you got one, got, and got one, one is so much more than zero. Well, and we talked about this. I remember I mentioned this on the show once before, and I, I'm going to screw up the exact number, but it was something like since, since 1980, only like 12 NBA franchises have won a title because it's so hard because like yeah. the Lakers and the Celtics and the Bulls right. all took up so much space. Uh, even the Pistons winning two, but it's just the like Rockets it's one back su- to back. It's such a hard Spurs thing won to five. Do. Yeah, and then there's like the Raptors that get in there and the, the Mavericks in 11. The Mavericks, that's and that's about the only sort of anomaly, this yeah. little blip in there, but it's so hard. And even that Mavericks thing took a bunch of random things happening to make it work, but it's so crazy. So yeah, you take that shot 10 times out of 10, but um yeah, it's weird that sort of the best haul they got for any of them was uh, the Ananobi trade recently. They got R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, two startable players for OG. And I guess because they were really sure that he was going to sign with them. Because I think OG's dad works for the Knicks or something or his agent. or There's some connection with them. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. But um, yeah, it's sort of weird that it's all over. I do like that they got a lot of picks back for the Siakam trade that just happened. Um, because they're more than likely going to lose their... Uh, first round pick this year because they traded for Yaka Pertle. Again, that's the whole thing with how they sort of straddle the line between not knowing whether to go all in or to go all out, and they kind of screwed that up last year. Luckily, it's not a big, you know, deep draft so far necessarily. It'll still come to bite them a little bit, I think, but it could be much worse. But at least they got some picks now for Siakam. They can fully move on with Scotty Barnes as just their dude, which would be exciting. Because if you look at the 2019 title winning team, seven players. That season averaged at least 10 points per game, topped by Kawhi yeah. Leonard. He goes to the Clippers. Pascal Siakam just traded. Serge Ibaka got old. Kyle Lowry got old. Jonas Valanciunas still playing well, but these are all players that moved on elsewhere, and the Raptors didn't get a lot or anything for these guys. I know the Kyle Lowry trade, Joran, Goran Dragic came back, but then he never played there. It was kind of weird. Fred Van Vliet, I think, is the big one uh, because he, he really came to life in the playoffs that year. He leaves for nothing last offseason. Yeah, he goes he, to Houston, and that's one where if you're Messiah Jr., yeah, they ended up being the 9 seed and hosting the 9-10 game they lost to the Bulls, but because of DeMar really, Rosen's child. <laughs> is that worth it to you know lose Fred Van Vliet for nothing? Yeah, the funny part about that is... is or is I've, it fair to even lit, litigate that at this point? Uh, I would have rather just dumped... Mo- I would I would have rather pulled the shoot early. No, I mean, obviously you say... In no hindsight, because they lost. I think a lot of people at the time even were like, why are you doing this? Just pull it now and get something for Van Vliet. Now... That being said, I am happy he got the bag. He had a huge bag. I'm, sure. And I'm very happy the Raptors didn't pay that amount of money from like $45 million a year or something. But I'm really happy he got that amount of money. Um, it's still a lot. It's a crazy amount of money. But yeah, I think them sort of just hanging on to Van Vliet and getting Pirtle and, st- and then getting the ninth seed or whatever instead of just pulling the shoot and getting into the top eight in like a really good draft, like a really top heavy draft, at least, at least going for, there were teams that went and pulled the shoot like the off season before to line themselves up to get Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson or something. So for them to kind of not see that their team wasn't up to snuff and then still not kind of pull the shoot and, you know, cut bait with everyone think it was sort of maddening. And that definitely set them back uh, a little bit. Now, at least this, they can, you know, it, it sucks that everyone's gone. I'm happy that Scotty can be the main guy for the Raptors. At least this can kind of move forward. However, you know, good or bad it might be. At least there's no, nobody who isn't there. Nobody who is there is sort of, you know, it's hanging over their head. What, what happens to them? And that's really a good thing overall. Because Kawhi left. They still won 53 games in 2019, uh, 20. And then the, 
the bubble, you know, it's, it's hard to read into the results there. Then they went only 27 games the following year, back to 48 games, mm-hmm. 41 and 41 last year. True mediocrity. True, yeah. And and this year they're fit 10 games below 500. So they they pulled the the final piece out of the puzzle. But just to to wrap on this, now that your team's pretty much irrelevant again, it it was that way for a long time in Toronto. How do you feel? You know, I've got practice on this, Christian. <laughs> I've watched a lot of uh, a lot of Chris Bosh, Mo- Morris Peterson, uh, Joey Graham, Daniel Marshall, uh, Daniel Marshall, uh, Charles Oakley, Mario Moon, Ontario, uh, <laughs> Antonio Davis. Uh, yeah, I'm cracking my knuckles. I'm getting ready. At least there's some fun guys. R.J. Barrett seems to be having fun a playing Canadian there. The a team. Canadian, cool. which is always nice. I think Scotty Barnes is a real shot in an All Star this season. At least uh, a bench player. Maybe it'll take someone not. You know, wanting to go to the All Star game for him to get in, but that's still pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's nice to see, especially because sort of uh, Scotty definitely sort of plateaued last year a little bit, and everyone kind of going, "Oh no, should they maybe have like we could have had Kevin Durant for this?" Blah blah blah. And it's like, no, no, he's fine. He's doing really good, uh, which is nice to see. And now that he could be the focal point and the main point of the offense, it's really good. I'd still like to see uh, them to get a bit more shooters, but that'll probably have to wait till next year, and we'll hopefully get Grady. Maybe Grady Dick can just come back in and start firing bombs because it doesn't matter See anymore. All like, these razor commercials, yeah, really get him back in there. They got Gary Trent, and then they need Grady Dick there. But yeah, he should just get in, let the kids play, get him some reps, just let him play. It doesn't matter. The season doesn't matter anymore. Like again, I'd rather them finish sixth than lose six last and lose their draft pick this year than maybe lose a draft pick in the following year where it could be a better draft. Just let's get it done. And the Timberwolves are in first. I it's mean, so good. Hey, it's exciting. <laughs> Kyle, appreciate good your you. time. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all.